Hey everyone, it's Beverly Hallberg. Welcome to a special pop-up episode of She Thinks, your favorite podcast from the Independent Women's Forum where we talk with women and sometimes men about the policy issues that impact you and the people you care about most. Enjoy. Welcome to She Thinks. I'm Inez Setman with the Independent Women's Forum, and I'm pleased to have with me today Daniel Schwamenthal, who's the director of the American Jewish Committee's Transatlantic Institute in Brussels. And before taking on that role, he was an editorial page writer and editor at the Wall Street Journal, which is where he recently published a piece that we're going to talk about today titled To America from a Worried European Friend. Welcome, Daniel. I'm so glad to have you with us. Thank you so much, Inez. Glad to be on your show. Uh, so you open up your op-ed, which I highly recommend that all of our, our readers go um, and find and read uh, with, with these sentences. History and evolutionary biology teach us that the normal course of human affairs is tribalism, oppression, and poverty. The emergence of liberal democracies isn't the inevitable endpoint of supposedly linear Western progress, but an aberration and a rather fragile one at that. So is, isn't this exactly what this particular strain of, of sort of left-wing ideology going all the way back to perhaps Hegel or popularized by, by Marx and the, the sort of wheel of history turning? Um, and, then, and then in terms of more contemporary politics, right, President Obama famously warned people to be, quote, on the right side of history, right? Um, you know, th- this idea that history is progressing to an endpoint and we're going to become endlessly more prosperous, endlessly freer, um, endlessly, uh, you know, sort of progressing to a, a higher plane of equality every time the wheel turns. Um, this seems to be very deeply embedded uh, strain of thought, especially on the left, but even to some extent on the right in America. Um, Reagan, by contrast, despite being generally optimistic, emphasized, I think, the opposite, what you do here, right? The fragility of freedom, the possibility of returning to a thousand years of darkness to the dark ages. Um, can you explain why that underlying difference, perhaps in, in perspective with regard to the progress of history and the fragility of where we are now, you know, why does that have important political consequences in your, in your view? Right. I, I think the way I see it, I think the, the misconception that uh, liberal democracy is the inevitable outcome of, uh, you know, our civilization. Uh, I, I, I see it as common uh, on, on the left as on the right. And I think it has a lot to do, certainly maybe here I'm, I'm, I'm speaking more from a European perspective, that, um, you know, Europe hasn't seen a war on its own territory now, luckily for for over 70 years. And, and in that sense, the United States, uh, I mean, I, I would guess uh, since, the, since the 1812 war with Britain uh, hasn't seen any, any, uh, anyone's territory. So it's sort of a, um, also after the Cold War, this sort of belief now democracy has ultimately won the contest uh, over ideology, or, over what is the, the right form of government. And, um, and so I see this uh, quite widespread uh, um, among, uh, among uh, society, this, this belief that you know, democracy is, is firmly embedded. 
Uh, and uh, I, uh, I, I, unfortunately, if we look at history, and, and, and if we also turn, uh, as, I, as I reference it in this piece, to evolutionary biologists, it's, 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 it's not the case. It, it, it took us, you know, uh, some, some 2,000 years to get where, where we arrived, and, and our, many of our natural instincts is to distrust the other, um, and uh, therefore, we have to be very, very careful and make sure that we preserve uh, these liberal democracies that we have. Uh, and of course, at the same time, we, we of course, ought to strive to perfect them, right? But, uh, but we, we need to be very, very careful uh, that, that these ideas uh, survive. So uh, I want to then ask you, actually, uh, since since you do see democracy as fragile, and, and I, I agree with you, I think now um, we're we're seeing perhaps uh, you close your piece with sort of an ominous ominous tone, right? That you're more worried about the the um, continued survival of liberal democracy, both in in the U.S. and correspondingly around the world, um, than than you used to be. Do do you, do you do you see, for example, the the American founding as fundamentally a different creature when you talk about uh, you know, how we have instincts towards tribalism, right? Um, most European countries, so to completely simplify, you know, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years of history, most European countries were more or less started on the basis of a tribe, right? There was sort of a smaller tribe and, and larger and larger tribes, um, you know, bound together. Eventually, you have sort of a unification and a, a modern nation state out of that. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't um, multiple peoples within national borders, and it certainly doesn't mean that immigration doesn't change the, the composition of, of who lives within those borders. But but unlike most European countries, right, America has a founding date now questioned by the, the 1619 Project, right, but um, July 4th, 1776, and, and a founding sort of creed and document. Um, I, I think that's probably why we've been able to have such a, a diverse people, right? Truly from, from the beginning, America has never had really a tribe. Now we talk about, uh, especially the left likes to talk about quote unquote whiteness, but that's certainly not how, how people saw the different European peoples who were um, in the United States at, at the time. You know, I, I guess what I wanted to ask you about this is, is, is our diversity, which I argue, I, and I believe still has been an incredible strength for the United States when it has had this this edifice that that did bind us together as a people, this this um, you know creed, and then a certain amount of of both historically justified and also sort of mythologized um, founding characters. If 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 we lose that, um, does does diversity quickly become a weakness for the United States in the sense that we perhaps don't have the same kind of of long term. Um, kinship or cultural ties as, as many European countries. Is, is there something about the United States that desperately, especially needs that e pluribus unum, I guess is what I'm asking you. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it definitely, I see diversity as a great uh, strength for any society. But uh, it, it, it does, again, if you look at human nature, if you, if you read what, what, what evolutionary biologists uh, have to say, it, it does make the creation of, of what sociologists refer to as social cohesion, you know, the sort of the sticky stuff that holds society together, that extends the traditional tribal loyalty 
to people beyond your tribe, to be people who do not look like you, uh, who have maybe different religion, it makes it, in, it makes it more difficult to create this. And that is indeed the miracle of the United States the oldest democracy uh, that it has managed to do just that. And it is indeed uh, based on, you know, the shared principles of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, uh, that, that has enabled America to create this uh, incredibly diverse and successful and prosperous society. And indeed, I, I fear that if one... Uh, challenge it or undermine these creeds that indeed uh, make it possible that Americans and new immigrants from one day to the other basically can become American and are in principle recognized by other Americans as fellow citizens. That is only possible as long as Americans agree on, on these principles and if, 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 if they're not being taught that those principles are false, they never really existed, that America not only failed to live up to these ideals, but that these ideals were pretty much a lie, uh, then I'm very worried what this would do to social cohesion, to, uh, to the ability of American society to uh, con continue to function. And, and as I lay out in this piece, I'm, I'm worried that this would be a contributing factor to social strife with, with no end in sight. You, you make a related claim um, about the American system in your piece. Do I think we're, we're kind of circling around it? So uh, let's, let's get to the heart of it. Uh, you make a claim that the American system is just, not that it's perfect, not that it, it cannot be, you know, that not that the project of American citizenship isn't to make a more perfect union, um, but, but that it is fundamentally just. Right. So th there are now many in the United States who deny that we have a just system and they point to what they call, quote, systemic racism. Right. Um, so nobody denies. And I and you acknowledged uh, explicitly in your piece that instances of racism exist, of course, in the United States and around the world. Um, but but there is a very important difference between acknowledging that individual instances of racism exist and impact people's lives and then indicting the system itself with that charge. Um, and then, of course, you know, in, in America, and I'm sure abroad, we, we, we don't even agree on what our definition of racism actually is. So Abraham Kendi, for example, whose book on anti-racism is now recommended by virtually every Fortune 500 company in America, um, he posits that disparities themselves between ethnic groups um, or racial groups are themselves proof positive of discrimination. Um, and that's a definition obviously not accepted by large parts of the American people. Um, so, so what lies ahead? I think we've talked a little bit about what lies ahead for America in terms of potential disunion um, among our, our many squabbling parts of our 350 very different people, um, 350 million, that is. Um, but, but what, what you, I think you, you write, because your, your piece is from the perspective of, quote, a European friend, right? Um, you know, what are the consequences for the world um, and, and for geopolitics, if, if America loses faith in, in the justice of its own system and, and deems itself, as you say, unfit to lead, um, you know, what are the consequences for people around the world? Right. So I, I wrote this from a very personal perspective also, as I, as I described in this piece, 
I was literally raised by my parents to uh, to acknowledge and uh, to always be aware of that had it not been what Madeleine Albright called the indefensible nation, um, all of Europe's Jews would have been uh, exterminated, including my own parents, and, 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 and which means that I would have never been born. So for me, American exceptionalism is existential. Uh, and um, and I, I also had the privilege, no pun intended, to, to actually then study and live in the United States and, and uh, make very, a lot of you know, personal friends to this day, and, and also it enriched me um, intellectually, you know, America's concept, traditional concept of freedom of speech, for instance, is something that is very, very different from the European or continental European tradition. And um, so, so that, that's one part of sort of a very personal journey for me and, and my personal um, concerns for, for a country that I, that I, uh, that, that I, appreciate deeply appreciate but as a generally as a as a citizen of europe of the western world i am uh, worried and i think everybody ought to be worried that if indeed america convinces itself that it is inherently and irredeemably racist it would mean that it would obviously inevitably no longer consider itself to be fit in any way to lead the free world, as, as we now say. And, and, and I don't mean this in the sense that the United States um, ought to be intervening militarily around the world. It's the very existence of America as the leader of the free Western world and its posture and its self-confidence as such that provides uh, the the basic architecture of security and stability in Europe, in, 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 in many other parts of the world. And if America as a society were, were to lose its self-confidence and were to give up this role, we know who will fill this vacuum. It's not the, it's not the good guys. It's not liberal democracy. Um, it's, it's Russia, it's China, it's, it's, it's Iran, players like, like these. So I see this not only as a tremendous friend of America, as somebody who could have imagined actually becoming American myself. In many ways, I consider myself an honorary American. Um, but, but, but really, as, uh, uh, so not only as a, uh, I'm, I'm worried about a threat to, 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 to American society and, 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 and the survival of American democracy as such, but, but also obviously what the consequences, as I just described them, uh, for the rest of the free world. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see, I think we see that, that attitude of sort of stepping out of the leadership role. I mean, I see it increasingly in American discourse, um, they're not, not just I think the more considered and, and sort of um, weary response to pull back perhaps from policing the world, um, which as you, you rightly distinguish sort of, there's a difference between moral leadership in the world and soft power and then using American blood and treasure to try to, to fix the world um, that isn't exactly. fixable. Um, uh, but, but there is this sort of self-flagellating response now in American politics 
to, um, especially when stories come in from abroad uh, that are just, I mean, common sense. I mean, it frustrates me as well, personally, to see people uh, make false equivalencies between, you know, what's happening in the United States um, and what, for example, you know, China does in terms of its human rights abuses for the, uh, to the Uyghurs and to other minority populations and to its own people. Or we've seen uh, these incredibly brave democracy movements in, in Hong Kong and Belarus. And increasingly, there is that, that, you know, response, oh, well, you know, that, that's happening here. Um, and and it, it is a frustrating one, I think, for, for people who either have friends or family or experience themselves, you know, some, some form of truly illiberal, you know, dictatorship to, to see those kinds of um, moral equivalencies made when, when there truly is no moral equivalency between anything that's happening in the United States and, for example, what Lukashenko does in, in his detention centers in Belarus to his own people. Um, but, but uh, you know, are, are we seeing sort of a geopolitical divergence then between Europe and the United States? Um, because I'll tell you what, what sort of frustrates me perhaps as an American about our, our alliance um, with, with European countries. It's that oftentimes you see these polls, long-term polls done by Pew or uh, by, by reputable uh, polling firms that show that, for example, there are a lot of people in, in Europe who believe that the United States is the biggest threat to world peace. There was a, a poll back a couple of years ago asking whether, you know, what's the biggest threat to world peace? Is it, you know, China, Russia, or the United States? Um, and, and, you know, the U.S. is basically tied and a little bit ahead of China and then considerably ahead of Russia. Um, at a time when in the United States, I think many are questioning some of those international commitments for reasons of weariness that uh, we sort of distinguished before, you know, th these kinds of polls, I think, are very frustrating to Americans when along the lines of, you know, the, the things that Donald Trump often says about, uh, you know, European countries not making their commitments to NATO and then expecting the United States to carry that alliance, um, you know, what what is the future of of sort of the the alliance between Europe and the United States? Um, how is it perhaps dependent? It seems like, to some extent, um, at least among friends of mine, it seems like a lot of Europeans do buy into some of the the critical race theory that that America is exporting to the world, um, and and they have their own reasons for believing that U.S. leadership uh, is is not in their best interest. Um, you know, do you see a parting of the ways and do you, would you see that as a catastrophe if, if there, there was to be a parting of the ways um, between the between European countries and the United States? So uh, these are all very important questions. And uh, personally, and as an organization that is uh, deeply committed to the transatlantic relationship, after all, the office here in Brussels is called the Transatlantic Institute for a reason. Uh, we, we take this uh, very seriously, and we are, of course, uh, also disheartened when we see some of the uh, opinion polls that uh, see, you know, that, this, that, that look at America sometimes, or at certain parts of the population look at America more than um, uh, opponents than, than, than as an ally, and there is a lot to do here um, among European leaders to, to correct this. Um, at the same time, 
uh, as, as, as you also mentioned, and this is something I was not able to get into my op-ed, the other reason why I'm a little bit worried about what I'm seeing in, in, in the United States is that America still is the leader of the free world. And, and, and you know, that also means sort of the cultural leader in many ways. And we know that many ideas uh, that, that, that start in the United States come over to, to Europe, as, as, as you rightly said, and, and, and you can see it particularly in the United Kingdom, which uh, was always and is always closer to the U.S. than continental Europe, and where, 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 where some of these radical ideas um, have also already made quite an impact uh, on, on universities and, and, and the media. And, and, and that's another uh, worry for me that it will also become stronger here uh, in, in, in both in Britain and, and, and continental Europe and uh, therefore also serve to, to, to uh, undermine uh, the, the, the functioning of European society. So um, therefore this is, in my view, many of these extreme ideas are, in my view, ultimately anti-Western. They are uh, um, illiberal ideas uh, and, and therefore, by definition, will undermine our societies and therefore also further undermine this relationship. Uh, because um, if, 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 if we are being taught that we are all inherently racist and, and so forth, that the West as such, uh, or Western civilization as such, is um, uh, largely a force for evil, then obviously the West as such will not you know, be able to, to work together. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's very worrying. I, I have a lot of the same concerns, so thank you for articulating them so well. Um, I, I do have one more uh, sort of debate or, or something to press you on um, to wrap this up here. So you, I think you rightly highlight in this column a, a rising a liberalism on the left, um, complete with attacks on the, the concept of free speech that you say, as you say, is so different in America from, um, from continental European law. I think actually a lot of Americans would be shocked at, at what, you know, what can be banned, what kinds of speech can be banned in, in many European countries. Um, but as you say, we have this tradition of extremely robust free speech that was once embraced by, you know, the mainstream of both sides the political spectrum um, now that seems to be going on the left and we have uh, you, you mentioned 1984 as a manual of course um, I don't know if you've been following but one of the the more <laughs> recent scandals in academia has been an, an actual defense of two plus two equals five uh, on the basis that mathematics and objectivity are uh, racist constructs so, uh, so they are indeed taking yeah. it as a, a, a manual there um, but so you also have this paragraph, though, in here about um, rising a liberalism on the right, um, where you, we talk about uh, sort of populism and then in, in a more extreme form, of course, um, the far right and, and ties to fascism or Nazism. Um, so it, it's not that I, I don't think that these, these folks exist. I, I know they do. They, they populate my Twitter mentions sometimes. Um, but I... My, my question is, uh, you know, you seem to sort of make a balance here um, between the dangers of the liberalism on the left and on the right. Um, now, we know that the, the, the Harper's free speech letter, right, is essentially the last cry 
of the liberal left, which once marched through all of our institutions in the United States and now is being picked out by the illiberal left from those institutions. Um, and that I see is the big difference here uh, between you know, the, the Richard Spencers and sort of the alt-right. Um, they, they may be dangerous in terms of being able sometimes to, to inspire um, individual acts of violence and tragedy, but they don't have institutional power in the United States, whereas the illiberal left, I mean, just took over the New York Times, right? Um, it's held the academy for decades. And um, we know that what the ideas generated in the academy don't stay there. It's now, you know, metastasized to our K-12 system, um, Hollywood and, and the production of, of sort of all of our, our cultural products, which we talked about being um, so important in terms of American soft power in the world. Those Those are largely controlled now by the illiberal left. Um, so I, I, I guess I want to push back against this equivalence a little bit, not because I don't think that, you know, neo-Nazis exist and are dangerous in the United States, but because they, they don't hold any serious institutional power, um, which is why perhaps you'd like to defend that comparison. But I, I see it as, as um, an, an erroneous comparison because of just the levels of power that those sides hold. Right. What I, what I, um, tried to lay out in my piece was the fear that I, that I believe exists in, in, in America um, out of these extremes to see some sort of really civil strife and, and, and violent confrontation actually also on the street. Uh, and you are right, uh, the far right uh, has uh, luckily no uh, real institutional power, um, but they, they do exist. And we have seen uh, uh, anti-Semitic and racist, uh, violent terror attacks by, by, the, uh, by the far right. And uh, therefore not to mention it in, in the context of a piece that describes my concerns about um, illiberalism in general and the potential of social uh, undermining of social cohesion, social uh, unrest would, would be incomplete if it didn't also uh, mention the far right, which, which uh, is often uh, more, more violent, but, but as you said, um, uh, is, is not dominating uh, the social, uh, uh, social science humanities department, uh, department in, at university, which, which is what I, what I, what I also described where, where, these um, uh, far left, and I, and I really want to make sure that we're not talking, I'm not talking about the left, but the far left really here has uh, unfortunately um, have, have, have taken over a lot of control over uh, educational material and, and, and the curriculum at, 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 at universities and is spreading uh, illiberal ideas and, 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 uh, and ideas have consequences and bad ideas have bad consequences. Um, and, and, and all of this together also with, 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 uh, far right and, and, and also violent prone far right is, is, is a very, uh, explosive cocktail in my view. Well, we're, we're undoubtedly living through a, a, a period of, of civil unrest. Let's hope that that cocktail, uh, doesn't, uh, turn out to be a Molotov cocktail on the streets um, of America, but hopefully uh, we can we can pull it together uh, in the United States in time to take on some of the larger global liberal giants like I think China is is, is turning out to be. Um, 
Daniel, thank you so much for joining us from Brussels. Please, again, make sure to read his Wall Street Journal piece to America from a worried European friend. Um, once again, uh, this is She Thinks. Um, this is Inez Stepman from the Independent Women's Forum. And thank you so much for joining us on She Thinks today. Thank you. Thank you.